Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. The Andy Moore on the Motor Group Hotline. We've been talking about a, a lot of fun, exciting things so far today. And one incredible, uh, incredible bummer. Uh, is the fact that we lost a legend, a legend in the history of Indiana basketball, really, from high school all the way through professional. And then after that, with the level of uh, business acumen, relationships personally built, just um, an incredibly gentle human being, George McGinnis passed away earlier today. And, you know, beyond talking about the Colts, which we'll get into in a second, Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59 joins us. I know you've been a part of Central Indiana sports forever. Um, there was, frankly, nobody like George McGinnis around here, and there hasn't been since. No, we were – again, we got together with uh, – Jake Quarry was there. We got together Tuesday at IREA's. Uh, we always do, and you know, for David Benner and Robin and all this, and then we started talking yeah. basketball, and we were using, you know, who 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 are the four Mount Rushmores of Indiana basketball, and it was the first three are easy. It's George, you know, Oscar and Larry Bird. And then you can argue until you're blue in the face on number four, but George was, un- he could have been an all everything tight end. Uh, we. As it turned out, we both graduated at the same time in 69. I think that's when George graduated. He was Mr. Basketball. And I was at Beach Grove, and we, we followed him sometimes. So in the tournament, we went, I think it was to Columbus, and they beat up on one of the Columbus schools with was it George Faber and the other guy who was Newsom, Jerry, Jerry Newsom, I think it was. But yeah, my, my the, the thing that sticks with me, and it's incredible, memories Mr. Basketball, and they go down to Kentucky, and they beat him whatever and george had i don't know 20 and whatever 20 and 12 whatever the number and all the kentucky players in the media were like who is this guy i thought this guy was you know really really good they come back to end and he dropped like 54 and 30 on him and oh that's george mcginnis uh, so just a truly truly amazing player and he 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 wasn't dr j he wasn't quite that, but he and Dr. J were sort of the driving force back then, ABA, NBA, and all that. So it's whenever I was doing some Pacer stuff for the star, whatever, or I, that would have been for like uh, the Anderson paper. Uh, he was just, he was just accessible. And I've dealt with him in the past for, for whatever, like, you know, later on for whatever reasons. And he was always there, just a great person. I know he's been through some difficult things. I think with, with his back or something. But when you lose guys like that, it, you know, like when you lose Slick or whatever, it's just it just makes you sort of pause, and then you remember all the why he was, who he was, and the impact he had, and 
George was – the, the one thing I remember, again, is, is one, the star of the news, uh, somebody nicknamed him the Baby Bull, and he hated it. Hated it. He thought it dehumanized him, but it, it, was, meant, it was meant as praise. He was you – know, like somebody mentioned, he was LeBron before LeBron because he was just an unbelievable athlete who could have done a lot of things had it not been just a power forward in basketball. Yeah, it's a Mike Chappell of CBS4 and Fox 59 uh, talking today about the passing of George McGinnis. Again, reported uh, first released informationally by the Pacers late this morning. And we have been talking about that throughout the course of the afternoon as well. And, you know, you mentioned it professionally, ABA with the Pacers, that success, 1977 with Dr. J. And the Sixers, they lose the NBA Finals to Portland, but still just an incredible season for him. And, you know, ending up back with the Pacers, I think he closed out in, in Denver to close out his NBA career. But just um, an incredible guy and an incredible personality, too. I, I met him more than a handful of times, and nobody is nicer. I mean, just always just a really nice, engaging dude. It was funny. One of the things about – you know him being it always goes about the athleticism and how how he was put together. He would like go through tennis shoes. He'd he, they'd break on him because he, when he would cut with the force he had, they would tear. And but yeah. just and since he wasn't a perfect person, but we but he was so cool. Uh, again, I'm a young guy at Anderson, and I come down for ABA game, and you get in the locker room. Of course, you got slick. And Slick's locker rooms are, you know, casual. And you go up to George, and he's on, like, his third beer. And probably his, he's a half a pack into the cigarettes. And this, is a, and this is an elite player who was able to do things that very few people could do. But I just, I, again, I, when you lose people like that, it just sort of, things are just not quite as good as they used to be. I don't want to overstate and all that, but. He just he, he he the world was better with George McGinnis in it. It's not quite the same without him. That, that's I don't mean to hyperbole, but that's kind of how I look at it. I'm, I'm assuming will the Pacers wear some sort of commemorative patch, maybe a Big Mac or a thirty or something like that. I would assume they'd yeah. do something like that in his honor, right? And that's, and that's what that's what you do, and that's why those of the league says now you can't do that. Well, you do it, and you pay the fine. You know, so yeah, yeah I, I think that's that's done a lot. Uh, whatever they do for George, it, it's worth it. Uh, the outpouring of, of, of tributes and, and sentiments are—that's—that's that's when you know what kind of footprints. Of course, George left big footprints because George was a big guy. But when you get that, uh, it just tells you the impact and the enormity of what you did and. It's always good to see when people, you know, we've talked about is the great athleticism of what he could do. But then you always say, but, man, he was such a great guy. He always had time for you. He was always pleasant. And that's where it's, you know, we, 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 we both know a lot of athletes who are not so much off, away from the field. This guy was the total package. And, you know, best wishes to his family and dealing with it. But, my goodness, he was a special person and a special player. It's Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59 on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. And again, our, our thoughts going out to 
George's family and, of course, the Pacers on that incredible loss of earlier today. Uh, moving on now, get the Colts and the Steelers coming up on Saturday. And like we all thought earlier this week, no return for Braden Smith and no return for Jonathan Taylor. And I brought this up a couple of different times. And I, I know how people feel. I, I think there's any disappointment at all that Taylor chose to go with the surgery and not try to play this thing out. I'm not sure that it helped a great deal. I, I guess him being a game-breaking oh, player, you can suggest it could. But hey, is there any disappointment, you think, over there? Because well, yeah. that was the choice and the missing of the time? I, 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 don't, I, I don't think so, just because you say, well, it's just a thumb. Well, yeah, you know, the guy carries the football. I remember when Marshall Falk yeah. had a dislocated toe and people said, well, you can't play with that. No. So I, I think not. Uh, you'd certainly like, and again, he he would make a difference. He he's that quality of player. So no, I may, maybe they they're 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 frustrated because you're getting back and you're starting yeah. to get going, and then this happens. But I just I, I I don't think he would have done this unless it was absolutely necessary, and, and this had to be his decision. You can't say, well, I want to get it operated on. And I say, no, we don't think so. Let's just tape it up. No, this is one where. Everybody's got to be on board, and I, I'm sure there's frustration. I don't know that it would go beyond that because it, it's 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 a thumb and you know ball security. Can you imagine him trying to play that? You you tape it up, and then he puts the ball on the ground twice because he can't secure the ball with his right hand. I think there's frustration, but I don't think there's any 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 anger or what the hell you're doing type of thing. You know, we need you. I don't think so. So must win against the Steelers coming up on Saturday and yeah, coming off that disappointment. It, flatly, Cincinnati, even with a backup quarterback, was a much better team than, than they had played and beaten during that win streak. But what do you think about this Steeler team mostly limping in here, but certainly getting somebody of significance back talking about T.J. Watt and uh, T.J. Watt versus Jake Freeland a lot? Is that your anticipation for Saturday afternoon at Lucas Oil Stadium? Yeah, they also get Alex Highsmith back there, so their top two edge rushers are playing. And yeah. this is one where, where if I'm the Colts, you know he's going to make two or three or four plays. He just because he, he's that good. It's not it's not that he's that much better than your guy, although he might be. But you just want you want bad plays to be a sack and a four yard loss, and not a sack fumble, a sack scoop and score. Uh, because I tell you, the, the Steelers' offense is historically bad. I saw a stat from one of these ESPN things or whatever, or Next Gen, whatever. They're averaging 16.2 points a game. That's the third lowest by a team with a winning record since like in like 40 years. So if that's the case and they're on their backup, don't give a an awful offense a short field with a with a sack fumble or points. So it's you know he's going to make you know he's going to make plays, but just don't make them game changing. And then you know find you just kind of solid solid up your game. You know make your kicks. Uh, quit having penalties on on Zach Moss's ten yard touchdown run. Although that was a boat that was a bogus bogus holding call on Quentin Quentin Nelson. But it's it's there it's it's there for him. You've been using this must win like for the last ten years, 
and this one, I tell you, <laughs> it is. This is. I kind of yeah. think this is an, an elimination game. I, I think certainly there's a path for the Colts to get there by losing with with the schedule as Atlanta and the Raiders and and Houston. But think of, you know, think if they find a way to have one in Cincinnati, they're tied for first in the division. So you just can't say, well, you know, but everybody else lost too. Well, you only got four games left. You can't keep kicking the can down the down the street and say we'll make up for that next week because before long there won't be more next weeks. So the the, the, the silver lining is it's still there. I think if they go three and one, they probably get in. Uh, and I could see them going four and zero, oh, and I could see them not doing that because I just they make it hard to have trust in the offense in the pass rush, in the secondary. So when you're playing a substandard schedule and a backup quarterback, do better than you did last week in Cincinnati. So Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59. Whiskey business, and we're on a large city bourbon locks, Luna Azul tequila shots Thursday. Pendleton Pike is our location of whiskey business today. Southside, Southport Road whiskey business coming up on the show on a Bud Light Blue Friday Tomorrow, could you make as to the reason why Gus Bradley continued to play the way that they did and succumb to the usage over and over and over again of the screen game? It was funny. Late in the second, you thought, all right, Jake Browning, that pick six from Ronnie Harrison Jr., you thought maybe that got to the backup quarterback of the Bengals. They go to the half tied, and the Bengals come right back out and reestablish what they were doing, that screen game. And the Colts just didn't do, couldn't do anything to it. What would you make of the defensive effort, both from the coaching staff and the personnel this past Sunday? Again, they just didn't didn't execute well getting into my coach speak. And on the first one, the 54-yard touchdown, probably should have called a block in the back against Kenny Moore. So it would have been nothing. But God, giving up three plays for 120-some yards, it's just crippling, and whether that's whether that's not being disciplined on the outside, whether that's your linebackers taking bad. I know maybe on one of them Zaire took a bad angle, but I'd have to go back and look at it. There was so much, you know, bad stuff to kind of pour over. But it, but that just shows you how three plays. You never know, but three plays really really crippled this yeah. this, this defense. You can't. You just these guys aren't good enough to do that. They aren't good enough to have. Bernhard Ryman, who I wrote about today on, on, on our website, you know, th- that was his worst game of the year by far. And these guys aren't good enough to overcome that. Uh, it, it's crazy how all season they've kind of been getting by by the old complimentary football. Everybody's doing something to help it. Well, that game, everybody did something to lose it. I thought, the, you know, Gardner Minshew, as much as we and I have been critical of him, I, I, he, he really didn't have all that much to do with them, those guys getting punked in in Cincinnati. But, uh, yeah, it's it just, again, it goes back to the fact that these guys, in whatever area you want to talk about, they have deficiencies and they have things that they have to be so on point to succeed. And when they don't, we saw that. And how many times during the Chuck Pagano era, two or three, twi- twice a season, that, you know, they, they just got boat raced. And fortunately for this team, somehow that's not been the case. 
every team has to conquer. You know, but let's not forget Denver gave up 70 uh, for crying out loud to, to Miami, and right now they're playing pretty well. So it's just it's, it's the old cliche about, well, you picked a bad time to have a bad game. And the schedule does not afford you to have another bad game. If you're going to get beat, have somebody make plays that they were just better than you. I'm not convinced the Bengals are better than the Colts, the way these two teams are playing. But that day they did enough right, and the Colts did so much wrong. Again, I went back and looked. I think Matt Kay, he misses two kicks. The last time he missed two kicks in a game, he was a rookie in Tampa. So uh, it, it, it was just an awful game. You move on. And the the, the, the ramifications of, of Saturday against a team that, oh, by the way, you're like 6-26 and 26 against all time. It's just huge. It's just huge. Do we know Tony Sperano Jr. and company, how – they plan how do you think they plan on handling you know you mentioned Highsmith off the edge but certainly uh, the one that we can highlight more so than anybody else is T.J. Watt how they plan on handling that oh I imagine we're going to see a lot of Moali Cox playing right tackle you know extended uh, these guys again what you do as a coaching staff is you you, you cover up I don't want to say weaknesses because I, I I think Blake Freedom has played pretty well, but you don't leave him out there one on one, and then you say after the game, well, I guess we shouldn't have done that. No, I mean they're going to give him help because you'd give any they'd probably give Braden Smith help, maybe not certainly not as much, but you, you just like Venturi and I we always talk and when he talks to you guys, there are certain guys you say this guy won't beat us whether it's the receiver, the running back, or whatever, or the end, make somebody else. And, and maybe Alex Highsmith has three seconds. I don't know. But just make darn sure that T.J. That Watt doesn't have three sacks or two sacks and a strip fumble. I mean, they did this with with J.J. Uh, Watt in Houston. And, and there were a couple of times when they leave a tight end to block him. And then he toasts your tight end, and you say, well, I guess we shouldn't have done that. You know, no kidding. We're, we're going to see a lot of help chipping, get him off his game door. He's just not, you know, point A to point B uh, because that's the way you do it. And I'm telling you, if there if there will be 10 plays when T.J. Watt's not on the field, the Colts will tell everybody, hey, 90's off the field, and maybe you try things, that's when you, that's when you try it, the situation allows. But ju- you just can't let this guy wreck your game. That means an extra tight end. That may mean quicker passes, and it may be harder to get the ball down the field. But that's the price you pay. Because to think, well, this time we're going to – we think that this guy can block that guy, so we're going to take our shot down the field. That's when the play gets blown up, and you think, well, I shouldn't have done that. So they'll know where he is, yet still he will make plays. Those special players with attention, they still make plays. Just don't make them, you know, god-awful plays. Make them just bad plays. Hey, Mike, before I let you go here, you know, the, the run offense has been non-existent, and it's not just because the loss of Jonathan Taylor. Where do you place a lot of the criticism slash blame for that? Is that along the offensive line at times? Is it Zach Moss maybe, you know, hitting that collective wall where he is right now with carries? Why, 
Why has the run game that, that thrived earlier, even without Jonathan Taylor, why is it basically non-existent right now? I just think the offensive line isn't giving quite the, the, the push and the gaps or, or the seams that they, that they have. You know, people think this has been the last two games. No, it's been four of the last five. And that, you know, because they had the 155 against Tampa, but the two games prior, they didn't do much. In four of those games, they're averaging 62 yards a game and like 2.6. And that's two of those games with Taylor. So it's, and then it's getting behind the sticks. It's a first down sack, so it's second and 15, or a penalty and it's second and 20, and then it's hard. But they've got to run the ball. I mean, in Pittsburgh's really, really good against the run, but you still have to at least have the threat. And if you throw 40 times against the Steelers, you're going to lose. I mean, maybe they prove me wrong, but throwing the ball 40 times against these guys, you're asking – you're just giving T.J. Watt and Highsmith more chances to blow up a game. They've got to get something. I'm not saying 150 yards from the run game, but they've got to get something to where, you know, it, it, it's second, second and four, and you're keeping these guys honest. And we've seen Zach Moss do that. He, he's had games. I don't think he's hitting a wall because he's not been overworked with Taylor coming back a, until recently. So you've got to find a way. Uh, I think this is going to be one of those games where it's going to be tough sledding. It's going to be ugly. Just don't make that one or two plays that just this team can't overcome. Uh, get up 13-0, get up 17-3, and then just play Dean Smith four corners and get out of there with a win, and then you're in pretty good shape. Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. And, Mike, I appreciate it, as always, with the uh, Colts conversation, too, every Thursday. But uh, what you added regarding covering and certainly following for the better part of your existence, that of the playing career and just the personal existence of, of George McGinnis, I appreciate that. Uh, who was, obviously, it, who was guard? Yeah. It, was, it was McGinnis and Downing, and it wasn't Pac, was it? Who was the guard? I can't remember their guard on those teams. Uh, the I think it was it not – it wasn't that – it wasn't Pac – Maybe it was. Maybe that's what I'm saying. It might have been. Yeah. I, I remember that state final where it was three unbeaten teams, and Gary Tolson had one loss out of state. It was just an amazing, amazing time, and George was right in the middle of it. God love him. Yeah, and uh, you think, you know, once you go through the ABA, you know, and they get your chance, you know, in the NBA, and just, uh, and the one-handed shot. The one-handed yeah. shot. How many coaches out there would try to correct that immediately now? And George would say, "Now nah, I think I'm all, I'm good. I'll keep doing this." <laughs> what a great, yes. what a great player! Just a great player. My goodness. <sighs> I thought I so much wanted to go out in my outbuilding. I got a bunch of old basketball cards out there and look through them because I have a ton of George McGinnis cards. You know, know the ones that are really large. Remember the lo- the really big ones from the early '70s? I have a lot of those out there. So. Yep. Yep. We're, again, like I said, right. the world's just a little bit less because you're getting with us. No doubt. Mike, I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Later. To Mike Chappell of CBS4 and Fox 59. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Giannis goes for 64, a franchise record. And you're going to ask me, why are you so excited? I'll tell you right now, and joining us from Pacers Television, Jeremiah Johnson is with us. Hey, before we dive into last night and get to where this goes from here, I'm with listener Michael Smith. If the Pacers don't hand out many basketballs when the Bucks come back and play on January the 3rd, it's a missed promotional opportunity. I would agree with that. Many basketballs coming up on the 3rd when the Bucks are yeah, in we- town? With, with the inscription of Oscar Shibway's first point. <laughs> <laughs> like the date, the date, yeah. <laughs> the date and the time of it that happened. That's, exactly. that's spectacular right there. Hey, I, I didn't want to ask you this. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry, JJ. Go ahead. I was just going to say I saw that tweet actually last night as well and shared it with some friends. This is one of those times where uh, the app they formerly called Twitter uh, fans can provide some pretty good comic relief. So I have enjoyed some of the things I've read over the last 24 hours. Hey, was there any thought in your mind? Because I think some said, is Rick pulling the plug on this game a little bit earlier? I mean, it was you know above the five-minute mark, below the six-minute mark of the fourth quarter. And I'll have to admit, I initially did kind of wonder if he was, and, and even more so, I kind of wondered if he did that Maybe thinking, yeah, I don't want to see Giannis really get a franchise record on our dime right here. Did you ever think at the moment when he yanked the starters that that at all was on his mind? I would say not the second. I don't think it had anything to do with Giannis at the record. I think the reason was probably big picture in mind and with where this team has been over the last couple weeks and to simply not put any unnecessary – uh, tread on the tires, if you will. Let those guys get right. a little bit of rest. Yeah. And, and also let some of the youngsters get some game opportunity, knowing there would probably be, still be a couple of minutes that they would play against the Bucks' best players, but also not just give them the final 90 seconds of a game, but let them go out, work up a sweat, uh, get some real NBA action, because they sit there and watch a lot of the time. And you probably felt with five or six minutes to go in a 20-point deficit, it was just not going to be the Pacers' night. So um, at, at the beginning, I don't – have anything against the Bucks keeping their guys on the court, but it, I think it was the way that they treated from the five-minute mark to the, the three-minute mark, calling a specific ISO play to get Giannis the ball repeatedly. That's where uh, the bad feelings kind of started. And, I, and as we have this conversation, I'll, I'll try to share everything from my perspective and not you know speculation or things like that. But uh, initially, there was some there was a little bit of disappointment with the way the Bucks were handling things once the Pacers made their subs. I would agree with you. I wasn't mad at all that they left the starters in. I just thought that it was – I thought it was their first-year head coach kissing ass, to be honest with you. That's what I thought. I thought he's just smooching their rear end right now. That's, that's what he's doing. But, you know, again, that could be wrong, but that was my thought when he left them in, and that, that, didn't, that didn't bug me. But I was excited about it because I felt it was clear. The Pacers had had such a profound effect – in these first two wins, and especially the one last Thursday in Vegas in that semifinal, that that's the reaction. One of the NBA's elite on a Wednesday in December in their home gym, that was their response. 
And JJ, beyond losing by 14 and beyond being embarrassed with Giannis putting up 64, that is a, to me, that's a great moment for the Pacers as a part of this rebuild right now because that's the type of effect they have had on one of the NBA's elite. I love that. I love it. I, don't, I love that it's a rivalry. I hope it turns into a rivalry. And, of course, winning and losing is what it matters, and you want to win. But I thought last night was well beyond that with all of the reactions of the Bucks from start to finish. I think you hit it exactly, and that's what I was thinking today, and I talked with both Miles and Bruce Brown at practice um, about that exact topic, about especially Miles. He's been through a lot of different eras with this team, and in the last few seasons, the Pacers would show up to play a team, and the team would maybe choose that night to rest some of their players, or maybe they wouldn't take the Pacers seriously. And Indiana would have some wins over the last couple of seasons that maybe they should not have just because a team would not take them seriously. That is not happening anymore. And so you had the in-season tournament experience. You have some of the other wins to start this season. You have the attention that Tyrese Halliburton and company are getting. And now you have to know every single night, even on a Friday night against the Washington Wizards, they're going to be ready to play the Pacers. So you can't let up there. You're going to go then play the Timberwolves' best team uh, in the Western Conference right now on Saturday night on the second half of the back-to-back. You better be ready because they are not going to overlook the Pacers. And so I think that's a really good thing, and specifically with that Bucks rivalry. We'll need to see this, you know, continue in terms of a back-and-forth over the next couple of seasons, maybe even a playoff series to officially say that. The Pacers got the two wins here, and they got the one win at the end of last season. But uh, you need a little bit more on the Pacers' side of the ledger to, to really call it a rivalry. Yeah. But I see all the makings of one that is going to be one of those four, you know, four times a year that they'll play, five this season. It's going to be the ones you want to be at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. You want to tune in on television because you know there's going to be some added intensity, some added juice from the opening tip. And we saw that last night for sure. It wasn't just after yeah. the game. That was one of the most intense first quarters of just a December NBA game that I've seen in a while. Well, you get the forearm shiver and then the lean into Tyrese Halliburton, and you, and you get that, and then obviously the officials dealt with that. But the, 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 the half-ass grabbing of the head and, hey, everything's okay with Halliburton, that, that, from, that from Giannis was lame and fake as they come right there. And, again, I love that. And you're right. The Pacers have to back it up by consistently winning. But it wasn't lost on me last night that a team I felt felt so disrespected by those first two losses and especially the one last week with a myriad of reasons, whether it was, you know, Tyrese Halliburton pointing at his wrist uh, like, you know, Damian Lillard did, and that's his signature or whatever. It had an effect on the Bucks. And I'm telling you what, J.J., we've been looking for that around here for a long damn time. And that's how I view that as good. Uh, I actually agree with you 100%. Uh, you want to be the team that is in that upper echelon. And there's a clear marking in the NBA, let's just say the Eastern Conference. If you ask the average NBA fan or even expert, they're going to give you the Celtics. They're going to give you the Bucks, They're going to give you the Sixers. They'll, they'll throw the heat in because of the success that they've had. That's a little bit of a fraternity. And those guys, they don't want any new teams coming in. And so while uh, the rest of the basketball fans, they think that the Pacers story is cool, Pacers fans are loving what they're seeing of this up-and-coming Pacers team. 
Those teams that are at the top right now, they don't want to let them in. And so you could see that that what happened in Vegas, what happened a few weeks ago at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, that did not sit well with the Bucks. And in some ways, I'm I'm okay with that because to be the team that's considered in that upper echelon, you've got to beat them repeatedly, and you've got to get knocked down, and then how do you get back up? And so that just adds more fuel to that game, January 1st in Milwaukee, and then the following uh, two nights later, January 3rd. There are some games both teams will play in between, but I can tell you what, I'm already excited to see those. Well, and I will say this, even with the, the first two wins in that loss last night, I the Pacers aren't at a position where they're like ready for this constant, right? They still have a lot of holes to fill, a lot of growth to be done, a lot of maturation, what have you. But the simple fact that it's happened and then somebody else out there that's good has noticed what is going on here. I think people sometimes forget how big of a deal that is. And JJ, with your postgame show, And I could tell you were doing this on the fly because you had all that info evolving right behind you. That had the feeling of some 90s stuff right there, which I think my age group above and below, that's the golden era around here that we all embrace. Yeah, I mean, you think about Pacers-Knicks when you think about the 90s and some of those rivalries, and I have no idea what it was like to broadcast some of those games. But it was an intense couple of minutes knowing that the game broadcast was going to wrap up, seeing what happened on the court, a little bit of frustration uh, between staffs, and then to see Giannis run out to the tunnel. I tried to observe what I could, but it was really tough in the 60 seconds or so between uh, the players going back to the tunnel and then me having to stay on the court and, and try to at least um, you know, show the fans what we had and let them know this wasn't your average post-game scene. I mean, so many times it's handshakes and high fives and, and you wrap up the night and you show the three-pointers and the dunks. This was completely different. This was there, there weren't a lot of those happy moments between the two teams, and, and obviously people have seen some of the footage as well. So it was a little bit unusual that nothing can prepare you for that and to have that first segment just by myself. I, some people said, catch your breath, because I, the emotions can get to you a little bit. It wasn't like I was running back and forth. But I had a lot going on, and I, I at least wanted to make sure that the, the, the viewers knew that it was, it was an unusual scene. And we're there to basically be uh, the eyes and ears for those at home that are not there. And so I just wanted to let them know at least something was going on. Jeremiah Johnson of Valley Sports Indiana, Pacers TV on the Andy Moore Automotive Crew Potline. Did anybody ever inform Giannis that one of the numbnut Buck staffers took that basketball that he was looking for? Anybody like ever even say anything? Because he looked like yeah. he looked like an idiot. He looked like a complete idiot. Yeah, I don't know what all what was said to him when. I do know he did go to the press conference room significantly later than normal. In fact, as we left the arena, which is usually about forty minutes or so after a game would conclude, he had still yet to go to the press conference room, and so he certainly had enough time to to get his thoughts and to get the full story by the time he went in there. And he was still adamant at that point that he did not have the correct basketball. So I don't know all the details about that specifically. Um, We know he cares about the game ball more than I ever thought he would have. He gave about a three-minute answer when asked if he had the, the, the right game ball and went on and on and on and on. So he still cared about it significantly after everything took place. What did uh, So the Pacers have to go to David Buster's after the game and win a ball for Oscar Sheboy? How did that work? <laughs> I, 
I don't know. I, I do know through Rick Carlisle's press conference that there are a couple of basketballs. So I have a feeling the mementos from the game, you know, there's the backup game ball. There might even be a third. And, and maybe that was part of the issue that at least Giannis didn't want to look as selfish. So he did say later that it was yeah. also about Damian Lillard getting the basketball, which I don't think was what oh, he was yeah. really upset. I, I think he came up with that a little bit later personally. Uh, but I think there might be three game balls that will be, that will exist for posterity's sake. Uh, Oscar Sheebway will have one. Damian Lillard will have one. And Giannis will have one, and it will probably be a mystery that only a couple people know which one was the actual ball used during the game. Can we give Marcus Johnson and Elisa Byington one, too, and tell them to shove it up their rear ends? Can we do that? <laughs> I'll let you comment on that, but they do get a little <laughs> bit of a free pass through all this. Uh, I was frustrated yeah. and disappointed to hear what they had to say. And if nothing else had happened, that would have been one of the big stories, similar to the uh, Wally Zerbiak from a year ago. I, I guess I just don't understand. I mean, I am in a similar position to that. Uh, talk about teams that the Pacers play 82 times a year. And some of the things that, that they said, or that he specifically said, I've never once thought to say into a microphone, um, I, I just, I, it seemed like it was personal, which I, I have a hard yeah, time. Yeah, and she just it. giggled, too. She giggled. <laughs> he was just standing there. No, he wasn't just standing yeah. there. He forearm shivered and leaned into him. He wasn't just, <laughs> yeah, it was stupid. It makes me want to make fun of him even more. Well, that's exactly what your role is here, so I'll let It you is. Know. Yes, it's, that uh, is my role. Yes. And I, I won't argue with you. <laughs> Yeah, James, reach out to Marcus Johnson and see if Marcus will come on the show. I will say this about him, though. When all that stuff went down, and I'll say this to close, uh, he did say, you know, Giannis or somebody needs to get him off the floor because he's ruining what was a great moment. And, of course, uh, he called, you know, he, he referenced Tyrese Halliburton as, you know, being a, uh, a wannabe superstar Last night for Giannis, with how things went down in the final five minutes, that was a wannabe 60-piece right there. That was a wannabe 64. It was with the way things went down. You can look at it to me. You can make a connection the same way as you would in saying that outwardly regarding Tyrese Halliburton. It was, that wow. was a fake 60. I was surprised by all of the actions and uh, not thinking that he would care so much about that, having – Obviously, never gotten to 50 and know if, if, the, if the record is close. Maybe that was something that was very important to him. So, obviously, it was more important yeah. than I thought it would be. I did actually, you know, enjoy the fact that Ben Shepard hits a few threes. The deficit's to 10. He'd already <laughs> taken his shoes yeah. off, and then he had to put them back in. I it was, like it was Shepard's fault, him. yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that he was able to get to 64 because of that, but I did find it yeah. quite comical that he, that he had to go back into the game. Jeremiah Johnson, Valley Sports, Indiana. He's got the uh, Wizards and the Pacers coming up tomorrow night in Washington, at least for the time being, until they move to northern uh, Virginia. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Hey, outstanding work as that evolved last night. Very enjoyable. I thought that the after game was much more enjoyable than the, the end of game that I had to view, we had to watch. But job well done as usual, buddy. 
Oh, and Chris and Quinn called it early in the fourth quarter. I mean, that was one of the longest games in terms of the clock that you'll ever see. Yeah. Not just the number of free throws, but then the length of time it takes Giannis to actually uh, shoot a free throw. I mean, it was yeah. it was a long night. By the time we're doing the postgame show and we're recapping some of the first quarter highlights, I, I barely remembered them. So it was one of those nights you play 82. Uh, the Pacers playing 83 this season. Some come and go and you'll forget about them. We won't forget that one. Uh, for quite some time, and we'll especially remember it on January 1st, and we're celebrating the new year back in Milwaukee. Uh, Jeremiah Johnson of Bally Sports Indiana Pacers TV on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Highline. We'll be watching tomorrow night. Job well done. I appreciate that, John. And, you know, two weeks in a row, the entire NBA is talking about the Pacers. So they're, they're the worst things. You prefer to be probably the kind of talk, talk topics and conversations last week. But uh, everywhere you go, people are having an opinion and paying attention. And I do think that this team, mostly on the court, is doing the kinds of things that are are opening eyebrows. They're they're getting this, um, the message out there about this team around the NBA. And I think it will only continue. JJ, appreciate you, man. Have a great broadcast tomorrow. All right. Thanks, John. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. It's the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. That's why it works. Evan Sidery, uh, Forbes, NBA coverage, got his own column on Substack, joins us. I tried to explain in the best way I could, Evan, about how regardless of the final score, regardless of giving up 64, those are both tremendously bad. But after that game, how good of a night that it ended up being for the Pacers in terms of having a team of that caliber respect and care about their what they're doing to that level. That was something that I have and a lot of people have been looking for around here for a long time. I'm really glad you brought that up, John. Thanks for having me on. But I, I can't remember a time back to potentially when it was the Paul George, Danny Granger, David West years in 2012, 2013. That's kind of the last time I remember – a, a certain Pacers team get under the skin of a really, really good basketball team. And that's what they've done this season with the Milwaukee Bucks. They obviously had the last two impressive wins, especially the one in Vegas, two to go to the finals there. They obviously rubbed the Bucks the wrong way, which was with how good the Pacers have been against them recently. And you saw last night, Giannis and Damian Lillard trying, trying as hard as they possibly can to get that win. We saw obviously Giannis goes for his historic night. But you see exactly these kind of nights now with the Pacers. I think that in-season tournament – really opened up the eyes not only the Bucks but a lot of the good teams in the NBA that you can't take a night off against this Pacers team anymore. This is a team that's going to be a legitimately good basketball team this year, and they're going to t- really go nose-to-nose uh, really with a lot of contenders and make it tough on the most nights. And I think it was fantastic, just the overall back and forth, a lot of drama last night. I think the whole situation we'll probably get into, the whole thing with Giannis was a little ridiculous to me, what they were doing there. But I, I think it just goes to show you that the Pacers are really getting to the skin of a couple good teams here. And that's a, that's a positive thing, to be honest. I, I thought that the ridiculous part was was Giannis and running around like a, a nut after the game. I People, and I could understand why if you're a Pacer fan, because 
they left the starters in as, as long as they did. That stuff, I, I try not to let that, that bother me because then down the road, you know, you're going to have somebody that's going to end up like Buddy Heald did the week before last, shot a three or something like that. And, uh, you know, you know, did that and everybody was that against Boston. I think it was and yeah. scored late and, you know, going against what is the unwritten rule of NBA protocol or whatever. Yeah, that's going to end up being brought up or something like that's going to end up occurring. But that didn't bug me last night. You know, again, as much as the, the reaction and you can just tell that the Bucks, for whatever reason, had had enough of the Pacers. And Evan, that was from the start to finish. That was from the beginning with the forearm and the lean into purposely Tyrese Halliburton by Giannis to what went down with Portis acting all crazy. And then the end of it, it's the effect the Pacers have had on one of the Eastern Conference's elite. And I love it. I, I absolutely love it too, John. And like you mentioned, I think it's the Isaiah Jackson, Bobby Portis moment where he foreign him and got his, his nose bloodied up. And I think that Tyrese Halliburton, Giannis moment, I think those happened a couple minutes uh, apart from each other. I right? they really kind of just crescendoed yeah. the first half there. And then we see the Pacers keep fighting back and obviously Giannis and them keep putting their foot on the gas until late. But I think this is a, a fun time where I think the Pacers might have a legit rivalry now. It's been a while since I've said you might have legit bad blood with a team, but I think the Pacers and Bucks have a fantastic chance of making this a legit rivalry in their own division, which hasn't been a, a real thing for the Pacers in a very long time. So I think this is all positive for them. Obviously, it was a tough loss last night, and I think it's just fair to say, John, that Giannis has kind of owned this team. He's averaging 40 points per he game. Does. Against yeah. the Pacers for the last ten games, like he he's going to do whatever he wants against this team, and it's really all about stopping anyone else except Giannis. But I think it's just a, a positive thing long term where this Pacers team now looks legitimate, and I think now they got the attention of the Bucks and a lot of the rest of the teams in the Eastern Conference where they're going to probably be a top six seed if they play their cards right. And they're going to be a very very tough out in the postseason. Hey, Evan Snyder joins us when all this after party stuff fades here, and you're right. We get back to the fact that the Pacers struggle defensively and can't stop Giannis. I mean, really, they stopped him last week. He scored 37, and that was viewed as a good thing in that win in that semifinal out in Las Vegas. They added James Johnson today. I, I thought that that was maybe more. Maybe I'm wrong about that. A coincidence that it was bringing in somebody off the bench that you feel – um, would be protective because, I mean, hell, you have to be in the game to do that. And he rarely, if ever, would be in the game in the first place. But what else are we looking at? Are we looking at anything beyond additions to this team? What I talked about with Bobby Marks yesterday or any other, the garden variety of rumors that we have heard around here the past couple of weeks. Yeah, if you're looking for someone to defend a Giannis or a Jason Tatum, a Jimmy Butler type, where we've seen for five, six, seven years now, the Pacers can't guard those types of wing players. And to especially be a good competitive team in the NBA and make a deep postseason run, you have to stop the most important position on the court, which is a scoring wing. And the Pacers just quite simply can't do that right now. And if you want to go out and get someone, James Johnson, I think is more veteran leadership. Like you said, I have very ironic timing on their part, but a really good veteran in the locker room. He's a no-nonsense guy, hard hat, lunch pail type of player. We've seen his leadership the last 18 months in Indiana, and now you get him back in the in the folding. It's just a good veteran to have within that locker room as they continue to move forward here. But I think you're looking for a potential wing stopper. I think if you're looking long-term, maybe it's Jairus Walker in two or three years, but with the way this team's playing, John, 
I think they, that it's outside the roster where they're going to find that guy, whether it be Pascal Siakam or OG Ananobi in Toronto or someone else. It's got to be probably another big trade where they go out and get a three or four type of wing, and the, that's the guy they put on Giannis. So that's the guy they put on Jason Tatum. I think they don't have that current answer on the roster unless they truly believe in Jairus Walker. And right now it's hard to see Jairus Walker's development when he's not getting many minutes. Evan Sidery of Forbes NBA coverage has his own column, Substack at Substack.com. He does join us. You know, I'd mentioned this, and I, I think you were trying to answer, but we couldn't hear you. You know, besides, you know, the, the Toronto players, whether it's Ananobi or Siakam, is there anything else mentioned out there that the Pacers may end up doing? We also should make sure that everybody's reminded that James Johnson, the longtime NBA veteran, was signed by the Pacers earlier today, which I don't know if that's, you know, something that you can – you know, attribute to what happened last night or just a an extreme coincidence, but whatever the case, an interesting signing for the Pacers today. Yes, yeah, certainly so. And, and James Johnson, more so ironic timing last night, John, after what happened there with Giannis and Bobby Porras and everything. But now I have a very hard time seeing Giannis and Bobby Porras going at a lot of Pacers players if James Johnson is now on this roster because he's a black belt. He's known as one of the more today players in the NBA. So that's a that's a good little counter move by the Pacers they did today, signing James Johnson for what happened there. But I do think if you look for an outside uh, enforcer to come in here and kind of be your wing defender, like you mentioned earlier, probably one of the two Toronto guys in Pascal Siakam and OG and Anobi. And then when you think outside of that, there's really not many defense first guys that could be potentially available. You can see Kyle Kuzma in Washington, but he's more so of a scorer. Laurie Markin would be a really, really good fit offensively, but defensively, he certainly isn't that kind of player. Maybe Alex Caruso in Chicago. I know the Bulls are going to be probably blowing that up here soon with Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. Maybe Caruso could come in here and be a lockdown guard off the bench to put next to TJ McConnell and Andrew Nemhart. That could be a really intriguing fit, in my opinion. I think if you're looking as far as a guy can come in here and defend the likes of the best wings in the East, and Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, Giannis, I think you probably have to go toward Toronto and try to get one of Siakam or Ananobi. I think Ananobi definitely is a lot better defender than Pascal Siakam. Siakam gives you a lot more on the offensive end. But I would definitely look towards Toronto here in the next couple months here and see if they can get a deal done. Evan Sider, a couple more things. We have him back here for the 3 o'clock hour. We had some phone difficulties there, but we are locked and loaded and loud and clear right now. So Bobby Marks of ESPN mentioned Paul George to me yesterday. Does that make any sense to you, that return? Yeah, I think it does actually a little bit. And this is something we maybe talked about in the summer because when he looked at this a little further, that Clippers team, they're doing fantastic right now. They got to a really slow start with James Harden after that trade happened. But James Harden now is really settled in into his role for the Clippers, and they've been fantastic. That starting lineup has been so far. I think Paul George, we all know he's from California. He forced his way out of Indiana in the first place to originally want to go to Los Angeles. I have a hard time seeing Paul George leaving his home state again if that means potentially he goes back to Indiana and plays a second federal role. I think the one thing that's maybe holding me back from Paul George a little bit is his age. He's going to be 34 years old next season, going to be 35 the year after that. Does he really fit alongside Tyrese Halliburton? He certainly does short-term for a two-, three-year window. But long-term, he'll be 35, 36 years old at the end of that contract. Won't be a really good contract to look back on there. But if you're truly in win-now mode, and Tyrese Halliburton certainly seems like he wants to be in win-now mode, Paul George kind of is that perfect guy where he's a great shooter, great defender. I think that the implications are, does Paul George want to leave L.A. and go back to Indiana? That's the big question here. But as far as on-court fit, I think he'd be fantastic, honestly. 
Mikhail Bridges is another one that's kind of been mentioned, not too much. Does that make any sense for you, the uh, Brooklyn swing guy? Yeah, Mikhail, I think, is the dream target. I actually covered him throughout his career in Phoenix when I was out there, and he's a fantastic, fantastic player, a culture setter in that locker room, elite defender, sharpshooter from three-point range. With the way he's playing for Brooklyn right now, he's really blossoming into an all-star little player. I have a hard time seeing Brooklyn ever trading Mikhail Bridges unless it is truly for a superstar little player in return. I have a hard time seeing them ever selling off on Mikhail Bridges, so to say. So I'd probably say it's a lower chance on Mikhail Bridges. I think one name that could make some sense this summer if they do kind of sputter here a little bit and they continue to not really make that huge leap forward like many teams expected to, it's New Orleans with Brandon Ingram. I think it's really intriguing name to watch out for this summer is Brandon Ingram. He's 26 years old. He's right in that timeline age of this team. He's a 25-point-per-game scorer, all-star level player. I think he'd be a fantastic fit next to Tyrese Halbert on the wing there. Defensively is a, a serious question for Brandon Ingram. But if you want to add in a true star level number two option, there might not be not, might not be a lot of better options out there than Brandon Ingram if you could get him with Tyrese Halliburton. Hey, before I let you go, one more thing: Would PJ Tucker have made any sense for you with this team? Uh, maybe a little bit, but now I think honestly, James Johnson is kind of that PJ Tucker player for this team. And PJ Tucker, he's kind of I would respectfully say he's probably two three years past his prime. He's at this point, he's not really the player he was a couple of years ago. He's really struggling right now at the Clippers to get any rotation that. It just seems like he's kind of fallen off the cliff athletically the last couple couple years there, and especially on defensive end. He's not the same player there. If you want to get a true veteran leader in the locker room, if he's bought up by the Clippers, so to say, that can make some sense. But I think James Johnson kind of might already fill that void for them with just his continuity already in the team. What are you writing about? I'm going to be writing about, John, this Pacers team and what they can do at the deadline. December 15th is tomorrow, which is the official start date of trade season. A lot of teams around the NBA, all those contracts that were signed this past offseason, they are now going to be officially eligible to be traded. I believe 75% of those contracts that were signed are. So it's going to be me diving into some teams that make sense on the trademark for the Pacers, probably talk about the Toronto players in Siakam and OG Ananobi. And also, I really think this Pacers team might, looking ahead to the summer a little bit, I think they're going to be one of the more intriguing teams to watch out for. So I just think building and putting the right piece around Tyrese Halliburton is what I'm looking forward to long-term here. So I'm going to be diving into all of that. Hey, Evan, I apologize for the phone issues we had back in the 3 o'clock hour. Thank you, Thank you for making time and uh, ending the conversation with us with these tidbits of information, man. We always appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. No problem at all. Anytime you need me. Appreciate it, John. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Week 15, Larceny Bourbon Locks, Luna Azul Tequila Shots. Let's hit the, the band needs to play here, James. Can we cue the band? Oh, there it is. The music still works. That's good. Week 15, <laughs> we start later on tonight, a gag-worthy NFL starter on this Thursday night, the Chargers and the Raiders. Backup quarterback city and teams with their collective seasons over. As it stands right now, the Raiders at home in Las Vegas. Tommy S. left his mark there last week, by the way, in that 3-0 win by his Vikings over the Raiders. The Raiders look to maybe go scoreless for a second consecutive week. That would be something. 
I am going to take the three points, however. Give me the Chargers on the road against the Las Vegas Raiders later on tonight in a game that nobody really cares about other than the betting line. Brett. You're going to take Easton Stick to come out and just come out and cover it, that What line. is that, deodorant? Easton Stick. Sounds like it, right? It's, uh, it's either like, a baseball yeah. bat or deodorant. I, I, I don't know. Speed Stick. <laughs> but I, t- mm-hmm. I, I, I did hear a lot about this kid. He's, he rushed for... 4,000 yards in high school. He rushed for 90 touchdowns. I mean, he's got all these crazy stories. This is the NFL. It's going to be a big awakening. They're in, in Vegas. I don't know if that's a big thing or not. Uh, but, uh, again, you're right. There's going to be a very uh, odd, low-scoring game. I'm going to take the home team that you had not get shut out again 3 nothing. I look for the Raiders to win this one 6 to nothing. What do you got Raiders. over there, Mike? Can I preface this by saying I'm horrible at gambling? You'll probably go 16 well, I'm, I'm not very literary, though, Mike. I may not understand. So I'm just going with O'Connell. And O'Connell's playing, right? Yep. All right. I'm going, I'm going with them. Going I like with the Raiders. It. I, it. Hey, might as well. What the hell? I mean, again, all it is is betting on a Thursday night in the NFL. <laughs> hey, Falcons and the Panthers coming up this weekend. It's the Falcons' three-point favorites. By the way, Atlanta looms on the Colts' schedule here in the month of December. I'm going to go ahead and lay the three. Give me the Falcons on the road in Charlotte. Brent Halverson. Yeah, another not really uh, exciting game here, but I think uh, the Falcons got a little bit more firepower. I think they come out and they can, they're going to go in, in Carolina and win this. Carolina's a, a struggling 1-12 squad, John. Yeah. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and uh, give me the Falcons. 24-17, they cover that three. Mike, talk to us. Well, I heard somebody say the other day they always like taking the home dog, so I'm going to take Carolina. There you go. All right, I don't know about this, but might Jake Browning maybe find himself as a starter in the NFL next year? Now, again, the Colts were just awful defensively. Hey, here's the screen game. We're not going to stop it. And basically, the Bengals did that the entirety of the game and got the win over the Colts last week. They still have weapons, and that is going to be the difference. And the difference in the backup quarterback and the difference in the game coming up on Sunday. They get the Vikings in Cincinnati, lay the three, and give me the Bengals again, which is bad news for Tommy S. and the Colts fans out there. Brent. Well, you know, you're right. I mean, this uh, the Jake Browning, he really has kind of come on pretty good. By the way, he's not going to start next year. He's not going to start next year, but he is putting a (laughs) a case in for himself. His bubble is likely not to to burst like Josh Dobbs did. Josh Dobbs over the last three, four weeks has not looked pretty at all. Tommy, I'm I'm sorry I'm going to get against your team here. I'm going to take Houday. Give me the Bengals. I'll uh, lay the three at home. Are you going to the game? Nope. All right. He said, I had enough of that crap last week in (laughs) Vegas. Since he minus three for me, John. What do you got, Mike? Well, I attended the game last week at uh, yes. Cincy, and being a Colts fan, it was horrible. Were you yelling, screen, screen, I didn't even screen. have it in me. I, <laughs> I didn't even have it in me. It was, it was disgusting to watch. Uh, I'll go with the Bengals, though. I love this Broncos-Lions matchup because the Lions, the Lions, as people tout them, it seems like in covering the spread, they have been much worse this season. I'm going to take the Broncos because the Broncos are getting four and a half on the road at Ford Field. Give me Sean Payton and the Broncos with that plus four and a half on Sunday. Brent. You know, that was an interesting call, John. I kind of looked at this a little bit like that, too. I I think that with Detroit, they struggle on the road outside, especially if it's cold. Golf is not an outside cold player. Yeah. They're going back home. I think they're going to right the ship here a little bit. I'll lay the uh, four and a half. I'd buy that half point to take it to four. Give me Detroit Lions at home. Mike. Give me the Lions also. Sounds All right. good, Brent. Yeah, the, uh, the, Packers, <laughs> the Packers were very disappointing for my colleague, Brent Hall. Oh, God. Going back to Monday night right there. Jordan Love taketh 
Jordan Love giveth. It was kind of a taking and a giving on Monday night a little bit, right? Just it, kind of a very it was horrible. up and down, it just horrible effort right there. But I think you're going to get a Packer bounce back. Minus three and a half. The Packers are the favorites at home. Lambeau Field against the Buccaneers lay the three and a half. And give me your team, Brent Halverson. I like that, John. And, you know, it was very, very hard to watch there. And Jordan just didn't look like he had it in sync at all. You know, we were struggling without, of course, Aaron Jones. We haven't had him most of the year. Christian Watson's been a big Big issue for us not having him. He is still questionable. We got a lot of questionable guys on the uh, on the roster coming up for that game. So I, I do think we're going to right the ship here on this one too. I'll take the pack. Lay the three and a half. What do you got, Mike? Go pack, go. Yeah, the Packers. Like the call there, Mike. And the Dolphins. Mike McDaniel said, "Hey, that loss last week to Tennessee can be galvanizing for our team." I I don't know if that's galvanizing or not. Maybe so. I, I guess they're a little bit fortunate in terms of. Miami this weekend, they're eight-and-a-half-point favorites at home against the Jets. The Jets coming off a win of their own in surprising fashion against the Texans. This scares me a little bit, but I'm going to lay that eight-and-a-half, and I'm going to think about a team that has been galvanized by a disappointing loss last week. Give me the Dolphins, Brent. Yeah, this one, I mean, it's going to come down to Tyreek Hill, right? Is he is Hill playing? I mean, he he got hurt. He came back in. But if they're galvanized, it may not if matter. They're not, okay, if they're galvanized, that may not matter. You're absolutely right. You know what? I, I, I still think Miami's got too much firepower. Uh, that Jets team, they, they, they was 0-0 at halftime. They came yes. out and fired away second half and uh, looked pretty good. And Zach Wilson had a good game. He looked like an NFL quarterback. I don't think it happens two weeks in a row. Give me the Dolphins to lay the eight and a half. What do you got over there, Mike? Give me the fish. Larceny Bourbon Locks, Ludo Zool, Tequila Shots, Week 15, Whiskey Business. That's Mike, the owner. Brent Halverson, JMV here with our selections. The Giants. DeVito and not Danny, but Tommy and his entire family. It was like they were trying to make this thing out to be an episode of The Sopranos, if you remember this past week. But, man, the Giants did get it done against Brent Halverson's Packers. However, this week, even with the Saints, it's going to be much different. The six scares me a little bit. I'm going to lay that six and give me the Saints in New Orleans coming up this weekend, Brent. Yeah, it's going to be a six is a good number for this game. I mean, because I think it's right there. It's six, DeVito. seven point. DeVito. Yeah. Tommy Cutlets. Oh, yeah. Chicken Cutlets. Chicken Cutlets. Was he, uh, was he getting the, they call, they call sauce gravy. That's what they did in Goodfellas and the Sopranos is yeah. gravy. Yeah. Like Tommy you know, meat sauce is gravy. <laughs> gravy. Gravy to me is like something brown. You're very there. literal. You got, you're literary. You're very literal. You're strong here. Man. Literally strong. literal. You're literally literal. Yes. Uh, but I, I think I think the Saints are going to get this. They're going to win by, uh, <laughs> let's, call it a, let's call it a touchdown. 23-16. Saints cover six. Mike's got good red sauce here. What do you got, Mike? I think I'll go with the Saints on that one myself. How about the Titans last week? That surprise win against Miami that supposedly galvanized. I know that looks like Davis Mills is going to get that start coming up this weekend for an injured C.J. Stroud. The rookie was having a great season, dinged up last weekend. At least I saw from NFL Network that he is in line to start this weekend. Oh, that changes everything for me right there. In Nashville, three-point favorites. The Titans lay the three. Give me Tennessee in a situation that very realistically could help out the Colts a great deal. Brent. Yeah, Tennessee, <clears throat> excuse me, they look good. And, and like you said, Houston is depleted. They lost. I mean, Nico Collins went yes. down. And, and uh, Tank Dell, of course, lost him for the season. 
C.J. Stroud, if he's not playing, I don't think they're going to be in this game. With, You're not uh, a Davis to, Mills fan, are you right there? No, I'm not a Davis Mills fan. I think what C.J. Stroud's done is very remarkable, and I would, I would back him. He might be able to do something. Maybe we're underselling Davis Mills a little bit well, right here. You know, the line's Maybe. only three right now, so it's not anything crazy. Mm. And Tennessee doesn't blow people out. They you know, don't. They're 25th in the NFL in scoring, so it's not like they're going to get out there and pump a bunch of points on you. Uh, I'm going to take Tennessee, though. I like the, I mean, the way they looked, the way they played. Uh, I'm going to take them. Let's uh, lay the three. Titans. What do you got over there, Mike? Well, you know, the Colts need the Texans to lose if the Colts are going to keep making this playoff push. And I know. That's what you like. I'm Even if you were disappointed Texans. with Gus I'm, Bradley's defense I'm going to take the Texans just because I know that Colts need them to lose. Oh, here's my idea right here. Larceny, Bourbon, Locks, and Luna's will tequila shots. This is my dumb play of the week. Niners are the best team out there. Make no mistake. But you watch me get completely screwed over by this 12-and-a-half-point figure right here. On the road in Arizona, Cardinals stink, but the backdoor cover stinks even worse. I'm going to go ahead and lay the 12-and-a-half and take the Niners, and I'm going to regret that next week. Brent Halverson, what do you got? Big number against a bad team, John. I, I just don't think uh, – I mean, Arizona, you know, they're, they're, they're struggling. They're 3-and-10. Uh, uh, Murray, he's got a little bit of flashback in him, but I just don't think they can handle this. Uh, I think the best team in the NFL is San Francisco 49ers. I think they win by 14-plus, so I'll lay the 12-and-a-half with you. What do you got over there, Mike? I agree with Brent. I'm going to go with the Niners. By the way, I I got a a text from Rick Venturi who's listening right now. It says, both Jerry and I come from a deep, deep Italian family. Never called it gravy. That's a Jersey thing all the way. And I mentioned Goodfellas, the Sopranos, get in there and stir the gravy. Stir the gravy. Stir the gravy. So yeah, you do that well. I do. You do that well. Hey, I just got Thank a text you, Rick from Venturi, Lisa Ray. By the way. Lisa Ray's listening to us. Wanted to say hello. Love. Well, shout out She's to Lisa awesome. Ray. Lisa Ray is She's awesome. She's talented. She is very talented. We need to get her on to have her yes. sing to us. Maybe she could sing while we do some picks. What's, uh, what's your favorite song that Lisa Ray does? All of them. Yeah. Just all of them. Does she do, uh, they do a lot of covers of like 10,000 Maniacs, Natalie Merchant stuff too. Does she do any Natalie Merchant? I, I, I would have to wait to see her reply we'll on that. I don't know that I've We'll wait on that right there. So shout out to Lisa Ray and Rick Venturi. See, we have incredible figures, big time personalities listening to this show. It's largely bourbon locks. Luna Azul Tequila Shots, week 15, Whiskey Business. Pendleton Pike is our location today. All right, get back to it. We got the Rams and the Commanders, SoFi Stadium in Southern California. Six and a half point favorites of the Rams. I'll probably regret this too, but I'm going to lay that six and a half and give me the Rams at home at SoFi. Brent? Yeah, this is, a, this is an ugly game. I mean, it's one of those games that's, you know, what Rams team do you get, right? I mean, uh, yeah. Stafford's look good, though, as of late. Puka Nakua's doing some action. Cooper Cup's actually finally back, it looks like. I'm going to join you there, John. I'll lay the six and a half. Give me the Rams. What do you got over there, Mike? I'll agree. I'll take the Rams. All right. Cowboys and Bills. I love this. I think the Bills all of a sudden have found something. I don't know if it's the effect of not having Ken Dorsey now for a number of weeks. uh, What, a month plus not being the offensive coordinator. But they're playing a lot better, spreading it around a little bit. Cowboys, however, if the Niners aren't the best team working right now, the Cowboys would be the best team working right now, I would suggest. So, two-point favorites at home in Buffalo or the Bills. I'm going to take that, too, and give me the Cowboys on the road. They're strong. I was going to give you a good song lyric right there, but it didn't make a lot of sense. We'll just move on, then. I'll take it. I'm, I'm long, and I'm strong, and I'm down to get the friction on. Do you know what song that is? Yes, I do. Uh, 
Baby got back. That's it, yeah. I'm long not really and I'm up strong. in my rap. It has really nothing to do with this whatsoever. So, <laughs> But your yeah. knowledge. I regret your, saying your, your it literal, I do. I regret saying it. Right. What do you got? Uh, hey, this game right here, this is the one that I'm, I, I think, the biggest on the slate, right? We saw Buffalo go into Kansas City and win last week. Again, controversial there towards the end. But Dallas Cowboys, they're playing some of the best ball out there. They're right up there. I mean, this NFC is going to be a, a, just a great thing to watch come playoff time. I think Dallas goes in there and gets this win. They're going to get you know, you're plus two. I'd buy the point, get them plus three because it could be a field goal game. I'd look to see more of a shootout, though, but I'm going to take Dallas with you. What do you got, Mike? I think I'm going to go Hoyle on that. I'm going, I'm going Buffalo Bills. I think, I think uh, they need it. They Buffalo need it. Buffalo definitely no needs question. it to stay in it. And, and the Colts don't want to see Buffalo get back in it. So that's, that's one thing. I don't too. know if Dallas is going to go up there. It's going to be cold in Buffalo, you know, bad it is, weather. It is Buffalo. I, think, I don't know I, what the weather's I supposed think to be. Buffalo's going to. I think they're going to crush him, actually. All right, Eagles and Seahawks, I can't lie. And I have nothing against him, but I, I think it's kind of funny when Nick Sirianni whines and kind of cries around. However, that won't be this weekend. They're three-and-a-half-point favorites, Philly on the road in Seattle. Lay the three-and-a-half, and there's going to be a smile and not crying Nick Sirianni after this Week 15 matchup, Brent. Yeah, they've got uh, they've got some things to work out. And get uh, they have to right their ship, as we say. And the Seattle, they've lost four in a row. Uh, Gino still banged up, so we'll see what he's coming back with him. I think Philadelphia is going to go in there and get the win. I think they cover this always by the half point. Lay the three. What do you got, Mike? I agree. I think uh, Philly's going to get it right this week and and get back on track and. And the Ravens, you know, I've I've undersold the Ravens so far. I've talked about two NF- NFC teams being the best, and the Ravens have uh, certainly been right there near the top, certainly in the AFC to this point. Uh, Three-point favorites on the road against Jacksonville. Things look messy for the Jaguars right now. I'm going to lay that three and give me the Ravens on the road in a nice matchup. Brent Alverson, what do you got? Yeah, I, I'm kind of struggling here, John. I'm sitting there looking. I've got too much chalk I'm taking. I've got too many road, going, road favorites going yeah. on here. But I'm with you. I think Baltimore Ravens, uh, you know, again, they're 10-3. They're and three. They're looking really, really strong. They look like the team to beat in the AFC to me. Uh, and Jacksonville, like I say, a lot of questionables going on there. I'll take Baltimore later three. What do you got over there, Mike? I agree. Baltimore's been tough. It, Lawrence still out for Jacksonville? No, he's in. He's in. Oh, he is? Yeah. He was in last he week, too, last and week. it didn't work out for him. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say he might be a little gimpy. Yep. So. I think, yeah, I think he's good. They're just, they're in a spot right now. So I'll take the Ravens. It, it, it seems like if there's a team out there that's kind of spinning a bit out of a control that you felt really good about three weeks ago, that is that team, Mike. There's no doubt about that in Jacksonville. All right, the Chiefs and the Patriots. There's another team that's spinning out of control, and here's how you can tell. You can tell the season's not going according to what they thought when everybody collectively starts crying and whining over something that was blatantly obvious, and that was the offsides on Kendarius Tony that ended up, taking away a scoring play that, by the way, was a spectacular play call and a design, but it took it away nonetheless. And then Kansas City is just not having the type of season they thought, but they're still right there, and they're still plenty good enough on the road to beat New England and Foxborough, lay that 7.5, and and give me the Chiefs without the whining and the crying from the coach and the quarterback this week. This is one of those games. I just it, it's scary, right? That hook, that seven yeah. and a half, that hook is on there. Kansas City. I mean, they've lost the last two games in a row. Um, there, you got to think they're going to get this one right. But the Patriots are battling for Belichick's life right now, apparently. But they came out and looked good last week for for an ugly game. They came out and fired away. 
I still thought I can't go against Mahomes. You know, they don't lose three in a row. If they're going to cover, that's at half point. Again, buy it, take it to seven, look for the push. Uh, Kansas City, give me Kansas City on the road. What do you got over there, Mike? I'm going to have to agree with that also. I don't think the Chiefs lose three in a row, and uh, I don't care for Belichick, so I hope he takes it. <laughs> Larceny Bourbon Locks and Luna Azul Tequila Shots. Our final for week number 15 will be the one on Saturday, and that is a must-win for the Colts. I understand this fully. The Colts aren't simply put good enough for me to be able to say, you've got to control and you've got to do I understand that. They're just not good enough. But in their home environment against this Steelers team, even with a cleared from concussion protocol, T.J. Watt, and you better have enough. See, we, two weeks ago, we went from, hey, this is a really nice story, and nobody ever thought it was going to be this way, to start having some expectations. And mind you, I completely understand why you lose to Cincinnati on the road, but defensively it was a joke. I will not understand if you lose to the Steelers in that fashion at home on Saturday when you know and everybody knows what is all on the line, and then you factor in that the Steelers suck. So with all those variables together, I am going to go ahead and take the Colts in this matchup on Saturday. Uh, one and a half point favorites, I believe, at home. That is correct. As of right now. That is Lay that one and a half and give me the Colts. And if they don't, I'm going to be griping and complaining coming up on Monday. That's a guarantee from JMV. I can see that happen for sure. I yeah. can see that griping and complaining coming. But, however, I think you're right on. I think I think this is a, this is a field goal game. It's a 23-20 written all over it. I want to take the Colts here to get that, uh, be on the right side of that 23. Colts cover the uh, one and a half. John, I'm with you. Mike, what do you got over there? I think the Colts put all the ugliness behind them from last week and, and come out strong this week. Take it. Mika Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Meekum's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Meekum experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Meekum.com.